Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 will begin reading in verse 12. So Philippians 3 verse 12. And we'll read on down through 4 1. Philippians 3 verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we thank you for your word that guides us, and it calls us to the life that you would have us live in your presence, a life to live before you. Father, I pray that we would all have a desire to grow, that we would all have a desire to know Jesus, and to make Him known. Lord God, I pray that our lives would be marked by a maturity, a Christ-likeness, a love for You and a love for each other. And Lord, I ask that You would be glorified through the preaching of Your Word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. I should take this off, huh? (laughs) Are they even alive? That's a thought that I have often. When I look out my window or I walk about in our backyard and I look at all of the trees that we have planted at our house. Uh, In the last six years that we've lived at our house there, we've planted about, I think, 14 to 16 different fruit trees. And in those six years, I've gotten all but, I think, one and a half apples. And so I often think, are they even alive? I mean, many of them look like they're alive. They even are blooming in the spring, and it seems like there's fruit. And this last year, I was so incredibly hopeful. Because not only was there just blossoms, but it turned into fruit. But then when we all evacuated and our dogs were gone, well, the deer went through and took the apples that I thought I was going to get. And then when we returned, whatever apples the deers didn't get, our dogs ate. So maybe next year. 
That's my hope. Although, uh, despite everything that's going on with, with losing that and, and whatnot and the work that we put in, I am hopeful that one day most of them will bear fruit because we're doing the right things. We're putting in the right work. We're pruning. We're fertilizing. They're being pollinated. And if they are alive and they continue to mature, they should produce fruit. They should grow. They should produce. And so here in in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is calling the church at Philippi, he's calling them to maturity, to progress in the gospel, to bear fruit because the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, has taken root in their lives. He's calling them to press on to press on in the midst of the trials, the difficulties, the hardships they find themselves in. He's calling them to press on even as they're faced with false teachers who are seeking to lead them away from God. Paul is calling them to press on, to press on to maturity. Friends, when somebody comes to Christ, as we saw last week, they are justified. In other words, they're declared righteous by God. That means that they are no longer characterized by their sin. Now they're characterized by their relationship with Christ. But that justification does not mean that we don't mature. That does not mean that we stop growing or that we shouldn't grow. No, friends, God does not save us to allow us to continue in sin. And as Paul is is pointing out here, He's saying we must strive, we must strain, we must press on towards the goal to grow in Christian maturity. So friend, I ask you here this morning, have you professed Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in Jesus as your only hope for salvation? If you can answer yes to that, then are you the exact same person as you were before you met? Christ. Believer, those of you who are trusting in Christ, are you growing in Christ-likeness? Are you growing in godliness? Are you the same person you were five years ago? Friends, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, you need to know that God is not done with you. He still has you on this earth and it's for a purpose. To serve Him faithfully and to grow and to make His name known. And so Paul is calling the church and through the Holy Spirit, us today, to grow in Christian maturity. And how is he doing that? Well, as we'll unpack this over the next couple weeks, he's calling them to maturity through humble confession, through pressing on, through thinking maturely, through holding true and imitating Christ-centered examples and understanding our true citizenship and standing firm. Now, I know you all got that, but we're just going to focus on two today. Paul is calling us and calling the church at Philippi to grow, first of all, through humble confession and through pressing on. And we'll unpack those two in a moment. But before we dive into into humble confession, humbly confessing that we need to grow, why would we want to grow? Why should we desire to grow? Well, because if you don't have a desire to grow, if you are not growing in godliness, then you are dead. You know, like some of my trees, some of them weren't growing. 
they looked pretty good. But then as the summer went on, I found out that a number of them were dead. They were dried out on the inside. But others, they're alive and they're growing. So friend, if you don't have a desire to grow, a desire to press on to maturity, then you don't know and you don't love Jesus. So that's why we should have this desire. So how do we grow in Christian maturity? Well, first of all, humbly confess. First of all, through humble confession. By humbly confessing that we have not arrived. We haven't arrived at maturity. We could also say uh, that, that we grow by showing that we acknowledge that we need to grow. Now, some of you might think, well, that sounds silly because I'm completely aware of my need for growth. But others, maybe you are deceived. And you're thinking, well, I've already arrived. That, that I don't have any need for growth because I think I'm already as mature as I can be. Or, or maybe you, you take that a little bit further and you kind of laugh it off as, well, I don't think I can become any more mature because I'm so immature. And so you dismiss growing as a joke. And really what you're doing is you're simply just explaining away your sin and just giving yourself a license to sin. But friend, don't be deceived. It doesn't matter if you trusted in Christ 57 years ago or you trusted in Christ yesterday. You absolutely need to grow. It doesn't matter if you're in the last year or two of your life or if you have 20, uh, 20 more years of your life. If you love Christ, you should have a desire to know Him and to become like Him, like Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 10. Remember that last week? He was talking about he has a desire that he may know Him. It's that idea of although he already knows Jesus, he wants to know Him more. He wants to continue to grow, to continue to become like Him. And actually here in twice in these verses, in, in verses 12 and verse 13, Paul seeks to uh, correct that, that, that sort of misunderstanding about Christian perfectionism. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. You see that? Paul's admitting there in verse 12, he's saying, look, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfectly mature either. I'm not perfect. He understands that he is still involved in growing himself. Yes, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote numerous books of the New Testament, acknowledges that he still needs to grow, that he still is not perfect. You know, just like in Paul's day, where there was likely these false teachers who were saying that they have become perfect, that they've become sinless. There are those today who think that they no longer sin. There are certain strands of Christian groups that think that they can achieve a state of sinless perfection here on earth. That happens today. Maybe you laugh thinking uh, that there are actually those who think they are perfect here on earth. But let me ask you, friend, do you act that way yourself? Or do you see your daily need for repentance are you functioning like you are already perfect and you don't need to repent of your sins daily 
Friend, be careful of that attitude that makes you think that you are already perfect. We're not going to be perfect until we enter into that state in our glorified bodies as we saw last week. So you see, Paul humbly confesses his need for growth. He humbly confesses that he has not arrived at maturity. Paul was humbled by the gospel. He who thought that he was righteous and blameless before the law. Remember last week how he had talked about he had all of these reasons for why he thought he was good with God. His zeal, his character, his self-righteousness. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But once he encountered the true and living Christ, he realized that all of that was rubbish at the feet of Jesus. He was humbled by the good news of Jesus, the eternal Son of God who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead for Him. So by Paul here confessing that he is not perfect, he's combating legalism, that false view of perfectionism. He's saying, I know what it's like. He's saying, I am a sinner as well. I have not arrived either. I am seeking to grow. Paul knows that the Christian life, that maturing in godliness and Christ-likeness is not a one-and-done issue. He knows that maturity is not something that happens just overnight. No, it's a lifelong journey. It's a moment-by-moment trusting in Christ. A moment-by-moment growing more and more like Jesus. Seeking to become more like Jesus and grow in Christ-likeness. And he's also seeking, as we'll see next week, that he's hoping that his example is one for them to follow. So the gospel humbled Paul. And friends, what happens when the gospel humbles you? What happens when you realize you need the grace of God, not just for salvation, but to continue to grow? You realize that you are not perfect and that you daily need to repent of your sins. Friends, if you are humbled by the gospel, then your view of yourself will change. Likewise, your view of others will change also. When you personally are humbled by the gospel, you realize that you are not better than anyone else here on earth. Why? Because at the center of the gospel is God's grace, meaning that you don't deserve to be saved. Friend, do you truly believe that you deserve God's grace? Do you truly believe that you deserve God's favor? You don't. None of us do. Stop acting like you've done anything to deserve God's grace. Friends, if you make light of this here this morning, and you think that you deserve God's grace, the Lord have mercy upon your soul. Don't take light these truths that are in front of us this morning. The difference is heaven, and the difference is hell. If you are not growing, if you don't have a desire to know Christ, may the Lord have mercy upon your 
soul. Because you're going to be just like these ones that Paul writes of here. He says, For many of whom I have often told you, verse 18, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Brothers, sisters, may that not be true of any of you here this morning. So your view of yourself will change once you're humbled by the gospel. But so will your view of others change as well. You see your own sinful pride, but that also causes you to to view others differently as well. It changes your view of others because you'll become less critical of others. You'll worry less about the speck in other people's eyes and the log in your own. Worry more about the log in your own. And hopefully that you'll be able to acknowledge, once you're humbled by the gospel, hopefully you'll be able to acknowledge and know God's work in the lives of others. Hopefully you're able to celebrate and point out their, uh, not, not point out their faults, maybe you, uh, let me say that differently. Instead of pointing out their faults so much, may you be able to celebrate God's work in their lives. That's incredibly, incredibly important. Friends, when you realize that that the gospel is all of God's grace in your life, your view of others changes. And you become less critical of other people. Hopefully you begin to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. May that be what we as a church are marked by. May we as a church be marked by gracious encouragement rather than a desire to tear others down. May our church, First Baptist Oakhurst, be marked by this gracious, unifying encouragement for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So brothers and sisters, as we grow as Christians, when we humbly confess that we need to grow, may we continue to mature in godliness. Friend, what area of your life do you need to grow in maturity? Is it in your speech? How you speak to others in a demeaning way? Is it in your conduct? Maybe in the things you post online or the way you speak to others online or, or, or how do you speak about political issues and attacking others? Or is it in your love for your spouse? Do you seek to love your spouse above yourself or do you think that your spouse simply just exists to meet your needs? Friend, what area in your life do you need to grow in? All of us need at least one area to grow, right? If not all areas of our life. Ask the Holy Spirit to help identify those areas in your life today that you need to grow. So how do we grow in Christian maturity? But we start off by humbly acknowledging that we need to grow. How else? Well, second of all, by pressing on. Pressing on. Now, many of us, we can easily acknowledge that we're not perfect, right? And some of us can even use that admission as a reason or an excuse for sinful complacency. We say, well, I'm not perfect, and so we dismiss our sin. We say a harmful word to somebody, and we should say, well, you shouldn't expect perfection of me. You know I'm not perfect. 
Friends, when you say that and you make excuses for your sins, are you taking your sins seriously? That dismissive attitude towards sin does not take sin seriously. You know who does take your sin seriously? God does. Jesus did. And that led Him to the cross. As, as, as we sang a moment ago, it was my sin that held Him there. So friends, don't be dismissive in this. Don't excuse your sin. Press on. Do you hear Paul's intense language here? He says, verse 12, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Skip on down to verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the upward, toward the, toward the, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You hear the language that Paul is using there? Does it sound dismissive of sin? No, twice in these verses, Paul says that he's pressing on, that he's straining forward. It's a, it's a gritty type of language. He's not going to be denied that goal. He says, I press on to make it my own. What is he seeking to make his own? Well, he's seeking to make his future glorification, his eternity with Christ his own. He explains that further in verse 14, the, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that word there carries with it, that goal carries with it this idea of the finish line in a race or an archery target. That's his end goal, the, the prize of being with Christ. Friends, don't lose sight of that goal. Press on. Last week, last Sunday, after we finished church, we went home in the afternoon and I was watching football. You know, that's a shocker to many of you that I would actually watch football, that I enjoy it. Well, last week I was watching, I believe Seattle play Dallas. And one of the Seattle wide receivers, he caught a pass, he was wide open, he was running to the end zone, he, was, he thought he was, nobody was around him. So he, he slowed down. And instead of going through the goal line and making sure he scored the touchdown, he slowed down to celebrate. Well, what happens? Well, there was a defender right behind him who took the ball out of his hands, no touchdown. Now, because of the Cowboys, they ended up losing anyways. But what happened was, he should have scored, right? He should have pressed on. He should have finished. What a reminder for all of us, right? Press on. Finish. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Why is there so much division in churches today? Whether it be over mass, politics, your view of what color the carpet should be, or, or all of these other non-gospel issues. Why is there so much division? It's because we've taken our eyes off of the goal. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus. Clearly, friends, our hope can't be in two grown men, as many of us saw this last week, bickering in such a way that my five-year-old and three-year-old knew that what they were saying is not nice. 
Lord, have mercy upon us if our hope is in political parties to do what Jesus and Him alone can do. Friends, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. He is our hope. He is our King. So how do we press on? How do we do this? Paul says that the one thing he does is he presses on. Look with me there at verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. You see that? Paul says he presses on first by forgetting what lies behind. Sometimes we focus too much on our past, either positively or negatively. Positively, we look back on our past and we think about all of the things we've accomplished and we become prideful. Or maybe you look back on your past, your past and you think negatively of all of the failures that have happened in your life. You think, there's no way God could love me. Friends, your past does not determine your future. Why? as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We can easily get lost in our past, whether individually or as a church. Friends, we must be faithful. We must press on. Forgetting what lies behind, stop taking your eyes off of Jesus and stop focusing on your past and press on by straining forward. See that? How does Paul press on? He forgets what lies behind, but he also strains forward. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, he does not take his eyes off of Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Friend, your sin and the devil wants you to turn back. Wants you to keep your eyes focused on yourself. But friend, keep your eyes focused on the cross. Don't go back into sin that so easily entangles and only leads to eternal destruction in hell. Don't go back. Press on. He says, one thing I do. Here, for Paul, is the constant. In the midst of all of the trials and difficulties that Paul is going through, and he's experienced in the past, and he will go through, what is the one constant? He presses on. He says that in verse 12. He says it in verse 14. I press on. I know many of you are struggling. In reality, who has said this year has been a great year? Press on. Press on, friend. No matter how difficult of a situation you find yourself in, or if you think life is going good now and you don't have the cares that come with, 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 with uh, as you grow older, press on. But it's important to miss this. Don't miss this. Look at how Paul ends verse 12. He says, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ 
Jesus has made me his own. Don't miss that. He's saying, I am pressing on because Jesus has made me his own. Christ has made me his own. In other words, we take hold of Jesus because he's taking hold of us. Christ doesn't take hold of me because I first took hold of him. No, I take hold of him because he took hold of me. That's what's being taught here. Tim Keller says Christianity is not something that you just take up. It's something that takes you up. Christ is not something that starts with you. No, it starts upon you. As I said, and I know many of you are facing trials. Know this. If you are trusting in Christ, He has already taken hold of you. Press on because you are held by Jesus. Are they even alive? As I think about that, my trees, may that not be said of any of us here today. Let's grow in maturity and Christ-likeness as we humbly confess that we need to grow. Let's, go, let's grow in maturity and Christ-likeness as we seek to press on because Jesus has taken hold of you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now this morning. And Lord, forgive us of the areas of our lives where we're prideful and we think we don't need you. Forgive us for thinking that way. Father, forgive us of those times in which we question what you're doing in a prideful way. Help us to see that you are at work in our lives. And that for those who are trusting in you, Lord, you are holding them. You are sustaining them. We don't press on to try and earn anything from you. We press on because you are already holding us and you have already saved us. Lord, thank you for that good news. Thank you that you hold us and that you keep us. That you sustain us and that you guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.